0: Good morning, and uh, it really is a special day for us. Um, This is the third Vision Sunday since my wife and I and our then-daughter moved to London. Now we also have a son, and as I look back over the past couple of years and these Vision Sundays that we've done, it's extraordinary to see how kind and generous God has been that in the midst of such transition and change, our church is healthy and growing, not just in what we do on a Sunday, but in our impact and our ability to serve our city and so we are really, really thankful, but also filled with expectancy about what God is going to continue doing in and through our church. The finance update that you heard, the update that Marianne just gave, these are things that you need to know as a church, and that's because we're a family. And so if you have questions, if you have ideas, if you have ways that you want to contribute and help advance mission in this city we want to know, we want to talk, we want to engage. So please know that Mary Luke, myself, other leaders will be available after the service. We'd love to talk about any questions you might have had from anything that was just shared or also ways that you think God is calling you to be a part of this vision for this year. And speaking of, what my role today is to turn our attention to Scripture and to ground ourselves in a vision for this coming year. Now, let me just take a moment to say that organizations or even churches have mission and they have vision. And those two things are different. A mission is why an organization exists. It's the purpose of that church or that organization. And our church mission has been basically the same ever since we were planted in 2016. The mission of Reality Church London is to be a community following Jesus, making him known and seeking renewal in this city. We've been about that from before day one and we're still about that. That's our mission. But vision changes year over year because vision is how we achieve our mission in this particular moment of life together. And the vision changes because the city changes. People change, needs change, opportunities and resources are different this year than they were last year. And so what we do every autumn is we get together and we say, what's the vision for our church? This is not Bijan's vision, but this is our vision. This is a vision that's owned by the elder team, the pastoral team, the staff and the leaders. This is our vision as a church family. And so here it is, it'll be on the screen But we believe that this year, our vision as a church is to be a church pursuing encounter that leads to mission. Pursuing encounters with God that inevitably lead us to be a people on mission for God. God drawing us into his presence and sending us out to serve him. And that vision is what we're going to be unpacking for the next four Sundays. And the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at is Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six described the prophet Isaiah who has a life-changing encounter with God. He has a vision of God. And from that moment forward, everything in his life is different. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend the next four weeks looking at Isaiah chapter six and asking the question, how did Isaiah encounter God and how did it change his life? because I believe that this is a moment for our church of spiritual breakthrough. This is a moment in which we need to encounter God the way Isaiah did. We need to have a vision of God that Isaiah had so that we can be a church more alive to serve our city than we've ever been before. Pursuing encounter that leads to mission. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today and for the next couple of weeks. So at this time, can I invite you to stand? And in honor of God's holiness, I want to read these verses from Isaiah chapter 6 that are also going to be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That's God's word. Let's pray. Our God, as we spend now a few weeks as a church family looking at these eight verses, we pray that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear what you want to say to your church. That through our teaching these next four weeks, that we would be a people that pursue encounters with you, that lead us into mission in this great city. That like Isaiah, we would say, here am I, send us. Lord, we ask for this now in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, everybody wants to experience something great. You want to have incredible food. You want to set goals in your life that are both difficult but also achievable. You want to go to beautiful places and see beautiful things. To be a human being is to have a deep longing for glory, for beauty. And at the same time, you want your life to matter. You want to do something in your life that is of consequence, You want to make a difference. And so humans have this deep longing for glory and for beauty to be significant and to do something of consequence. And yet at the same time, if we're honest, many of us are coasting through life feeling really bored, really dull. There's a kind of languishing that many of us are going through. Apathy. And even if... Externally, there's a lot of exciting things happening in your life, maybe a new job or a new relationship. Spiritually speaking, many of us feel incredibly dull. We feel spiritually very bored. And that's the tension that many of us are living in right now. A longing for glory, a desire for doing something with our life that matters. We tell ourselves, I'm going to do something of significance later, soon, But right now I'm coasting and dulling that boredom with Prime Video or Netflix binges. And that's the tension that many of us are living in. What we need more than anything else is a vision of God like Isaiah had. We need an encounter with God on his throne as the high and exalted one. We need to see God the way Isaiah did, holy, holy, holy. And I believe that's what God wants to do in our church during this season. Giving us a vision of himself that we've never had before. A time of spiritual breakthrough in a season of expectancy. And today we're beginning this series and the question that I want to ask, the question that I want to put before us today is when did Isaiah have this encounter with God? He's in the throne room. He sees God as holy and exalted, high and lifted up. When did it happen? When did Isaiah have this encounter with God? And the answer is in verse 1. It happened in the year that King Uzziah died. That's when Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, historically, we know from a chronological perspective, that's 740 BC. But Isaiah is not telling us that this all happened in the year that the king died just to give us a date. This is the only time in all the Old Testament that a prophet dates his call to ministry connected with something that happens in the political realm. What Isaiah is saying is the death of Uzziah was a society-changing event. It's like if I were to say, in the year when the towers fell. Or in the year the war began. Or in the year when COVID came. You would know that I'm not just talking about a date. I'm talking about a moment that collectively changed our experience forever. And the death of Uzziah was a society-changing event. It was a life-transforming experience. And it was in that year that Isaiah saw the Lord. So we need to ask, well, what was it about the death of King Uzziah that changed everything for Isaiah? And so let's take a look today in this sermon and ask the question, who was King Uzziah? What did King Uzziah's death do? And what's it going to mean for you? So who was this king? What did his death do? And what can it mean for you? First, who is King Uzziah? Well, if we're going to understand the importance of his death, we need to know something about his life. And the chapter in the Bible that tells us more about him than any other place is 2 Chronicles 26. If I were to summarize briefly what that chapter says about King Uzziah, here's a couple things that stand out about his life. First, he became king when he was 16 years old. And he led for 42 years. Now, that's a long time for anybody to be in leadership. But at that period in world history, 42 years was unprecedented. And so this is a king that everybody got used to. This is a king that everyone knew. Oh, yeah, that's our king. Of course, he's always been there. He always will be. This is a king that people trusted in. And he was part of the fabric of their life. Not only was he there for a long time, but also when Uzziah started out as king, he led from a place of spiritual health. He was a man who loved God and who led the people in faith. He had a rich prayer life. He was going to church, to temple, and he was learning from others about how to follow God. He was humble. He was a man who had a rich spiritual life. Third, he was also a powerful military leader, and that's what you want in a king. He was someone who built up a big army that created a real sense of safety and stability in the nation of Israel. They didn't feel threatened. Like When Uzziah is on the throne, we are invincible and no enemy can harm us. And fourth, he created jobs in the kingdom. It was a time of economic peace and prosperity. People felt safe, like their future was going to be Okay. That's who King Uzziah was. In other words, he was the king that everybody dreams of. He was the king that everybody would hope for. He did a lot of good for his people. And he made life in Israel very, very comfortable. And that's where the spiritual danger was. Because people got too comfortable. And what happened in Uzziah's life is as he was successful... As his power grew, he got spiritually comfortable and he stopped depending on God. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God. It's just that God became less and less important to him. His prayer life started to shrivel up. He didn't live with a sense of reliance on God. The more comfortable he became, the more spiritually complacent he became. His comfort led to complacency. Now, if you were to ask Uzziah, what's the most important thing in your life? Probably he would say, well, it's God. But that wasn't true in the day-to-day reality. Outwardly, he might have said, yeah, God's the most important thing to me. I believe, I show up at church. But the day-to-day reality of his life was that God was becoming more of an accessory than he was the very center Outwardly, everything seemed fine, but inwardly, there was great spiritual danger because of his comfort and his complacency. And that's when we read at the end of 2 Chronicles 26, this heartbreaking verse, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. And so you can see the arc of his life, comfortable. Everything is going well. Peace, prosperity, no problems. That leads to spiritual complacency. Oh yeah, I know God's out there, but not that important to me. Prayer life, kind of negligible. And that eventually leads to compromise, where he actually turns from God, so that when Uzziah comes to the very end of his life, he's farther from God than he's ever been. And what was true for Uzziah was also true for the people, for the nation. When he was on the throne, everyone lived with peace and comfort and prosperity. And in their being comfortable, they became spiritually complacent. It wasn't that they stopped believing in God. God just wasn't that important to them anymore. They prayed, but not that much and not that passionately. They obeyed God unless God was calling them to do something they didn't want to do or that was too hard for them. This was a time of spiritual lukewarmness in Israel. It wasn't that Uzziah was bad or evil. By outward measures, he was a really good king, but people were too comfortable. And so they became spiritually apathetic. Now, maybe some of this is resonating with you. That if you're honest, and it's hard to come to a church or a small group and admit this, but if you're honest, you would say, yeah, I'm actually incredibly spiritually bored. The most exciting things in my life are not what is happening in the spiritual realm. I'm actually feeling a lot of spiritual dullness. I believe in God, but my walk with him is kind of meh. Bible reading is super negotiable, like maybe if I get to it. The things in your life that take up most of your energy and time are not bad or evil things, but they've slowly numbed your taste buds to the things of God. That's where Uzziah was. That's where the people were. Spiritual life just felt kind of blah. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died that everything changed. That's where the people were. And then we read King Uzziah dies. So here's the next question. What was it that King Uzziah's death did? If that's where he was, if that's where the people were, what did his death do? The first thing it did was it jolted them out of their comfort. When disruptive change comes into your life, and we're going to be talking about this in our RCL family conversations, it jolts you out of your comfort. Disruptive change causes people to feel disoriented. You lose a sense of security. You lose a sense of peace. When Uzziah was no longer on the throne, people were asking the big questions all over again and saying, what can we look to? What can we trust in? Now, notice change doesn't always draw you closer to God. But it does make you feel less complacent and less comfortable. And so when Uzziah died, the first thing that happened, it was this this collective disorientation that came into Israel. And it jolted people awake. And they started paying attention and, and asking questions they hadn't asked in a really long time. And the second thing it did, not only did it jolt them out of their comfort, but the second thing it did is it made them feel exposed. It made them feel really vulnerable. Remember when Uzziah was on the throne, we're invincible. Nothing bad can happen. The future is safe. Our enemies can never penetrate. We are good to go. And then all of a sudden, the thing that these people had been looking to and trusting in was gone. And they immediately realized that their future was far more fragile than they had lived up to that point before. And they were exposed and they were filled with fear. And so when we ask the question, what did the death of Uzziah do? It did two things. It exposed how spiritually unhealthy they actually were. And it created space for them to encounter God in a way they never had before. And that's always what happens when you lose your Uzziah. You realize that actually you were building your spiritual life on things that couldn't hold your weight. And it creates awareness and openness to encounter the living God really and maybe for the first time that's what happened the death of Uzziah was a moment of spiritual awakening it created space for these people to encounter God but it was also a time of pain now friends as your pastor I can say I wish it weren't like this I wish that our ears were more tuned to hear God in the seasons of life in which we were most comfortable and at peace But it just doesn't work like that. Oftentimes, the greatest moments of spiritual awakening in your life are also the times of greatest disruption and change and pain. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God whispers whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I wish that weren't true, but it is. I wish that I had better spiritual ears to listen to God in times of comfort and peace. But it's often when Uzziah dies that I see the Lord. Another author who's deeply for me talked about this reality as being a severe mercy. That sometimes God's mercies to us feel very severe the loss of something that we had looked to and trusted in. The death of Uzziah in Israel was a severe mercy. And so what the death of Uzziah did was it exposed to the people. We're not nearly as spiritually healthy as we hoped, but it created openness and awareness and hunger to encounter the true and the living God. And that's what happened. It was in the year that King Uzziah dies that Isaiah sees the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne. So to finish this sermon, here's the question. What does this mean for you? You know, this is an ancient story, but it's God's word and it speaks to the church today. So how do we take what's here and apply it to our lives? Couple thoughts. First, everyone's Uzziah is different and you may not even know what yours is. The first thing that this passage is calling us to do as a church, the first thing that I'm inviting us into in this season of pursuing an encounter with God is to do some self-examination about what you're looking to, to give you peace and security in your life. Not like the textbook answer you give when somebody at church asks you, but the real answer When you go through your hardest moments, what's the thing that you look to to give you peace and security? Everyone is looking to something. And the first thing we're called to recognize is that we have a Uzziah. We have something that gives us the kind of security and peace that our world needs. And honestly, you may not even know what yours is. You may not even be quite sure what that thing is today. Sometimes you only know how pure gold is when it passes through fire. And sometimes you only see what you're trusting in when you go through a test. But the invitation is to do some real self-examination. Second thing is not only do we all have a Uzziah, but the second thing is it's not necessarily your job to get rid of Uzziah. It would be a big mistake if you heard this sermon and you were thinking, oh, the pastor is saying that if I have a good thing in my life, I've got to get rid of it. Not at all. No one in Israel was trying to get rid of Uzziah. He just ended up falling off the throne. And sooner or later, God often in his severe mercy allows or even himself takes things from us that cause us to realize we were actually looking to those things to give us something that God was only able to give in the first place. So it isn't that if you have something good or comfortable in your life, you need to get rid of it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is God in his severe mercy sometimes will allow our Uzziahs to fall by the wayside. And when he does, that's a moment for spiritual awakening. You don't have to go looking for suffering, but when it comes, don't waste it. That's the time to see the Lord. Third thing, what do we do? Pray. I want to invite you to pray one of the shortest and most scary prayers that you can ever pray in your life. And here it is. Say to God, not my will, but yours be done. Short and terrifying. To say to God, not my will, but yours be done. That's how we begin as a church to pursue encounters that change us is we say to God, show me what I'm trusting in instead of you and give me the courage and faith to surrender that thing to you and help me to trust you as my king. Not my will, but yours be done. It's really scary to pray that prayer and it's the beginning of life. Not my will, but yours be done. And where can you have the confidence to pray a really scary prayer like that? Well, here's where we'll close our sermon. You have to see the real king on his throne. You have to see the real king on his throne. It was only when Uzziah died that Isaiah realizes, oh, the Lord is still on his throne and he's never not been there. And I want to read to you the first four four verses again of the chapter. Listen, Isaiah says, In the year that the king died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted. And he was seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they were flying. They were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're going to come back to those verses next week. They're rich, and we're going to spend time plumbing their depths. But here's all I want you to see today. When Uzziah died, Isaiah had a vision of God that he had never had before. And the vision that he had of God culminated in the angels saying to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. There's only one other place in the whole Bible that that three times holy description is used for God. Isaiah 6 and one other place. It's all the way at the end in the book of Revelation. When John, the author, gets a vision of heaven, just like Isaiah did. And John, as he has his vision of heaven, he sees a king on a throne. And the angels are circling the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And as John, he's overwhelmed with glory, but as John just peeks up and he gets a glimpse of the throne, what does he see on that throne? And here's what John tells us. As he sees the angel saying, holy, 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 he looks at the throne and it says, then I saw a lamb looking as as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. In other words, the king, the the king on his throne that Isaiah saw, the king that John would later see, is none other than the dying Lord Jesus. The king who gave himself in sacrifice. The king who died for his people. You know, most kings send out other people to die for them. But Jesus is the holy, holy king who came to die for his people. And the vision that Isaiah has of the king on his throne, the king who is always there, it's the Lord Jesus who died for his people and who rose again to defeat and conquer death forever. Jesus is the king that your heart needs. Jesus is the humble king who's much more able to the task of running your life than you are. And the prayer for us today is to say to that king, not my will, but yours be done. Help me to surrender. Help me to see what I'm trusting in instead of you and to surrender that thing to you and to get a glimpse of you like I've never had before. And you know, friends, you know what can give you the, you know what, as we come into this time of response right now, the thing that can give us courage to say to God, not my will, but yours be done. That's the very same prayer that Jesus prayed the night before his death. Jesus was standing in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is the the king of heaven. And yet he's kneeling down beneath an olive tree. Knowing that one of his friends is about to betray him. And he says to God, his father. If it's possible, can we do this any other way? I, humanly, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. I mean, who would? And yet, Jesus, with his knees on the dirt that he made, says to God his Father, Not my will, but yours be done. That's why you can pray that prayer today. Jesus gave his life for you so that you can trust your life to him. He is the king. And you see him most clearly when Uzziah falls off the throne of your heart. So I invite you into the shortest and scariest prayer that you can pray. God, not my will, but yours be done. Show me what I'm trusting in. Expose and give me faith to surrender and to see Jesus, my King, high and lifted up. Let's pray for that right now. Our God, thank you for this passage. And we ask that as we come now to this time of response that that we would encounter you right now in this place, that we would see you today high and lifted up, that we would surrender to you all the things, anything that we're trusting in instead of you, that you would give us faith because we see Jesus, our King, dying for us to say not our will but yours be done. Help us be that kind of church that pursues an encounter with you knowing that that's the thing that we need more than anything else. As we begin this vision series, give us a vision of your presence unlike anything we've ever had before. May this be a time of breakthrough. We pray this together expectantly because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.